Hello everybody, this is our 11th and final sermon looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're in Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 to 29 and the theme is true obedience. Please join in with me if you know the words. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rain came tumbling down. The rain came down, and the floods went up. The rain came down, and the floods went up. The rain came down, and the floods went up, but the house on the rock stood firm. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the rain came tumbling down. The rain came down, and the floods went up. The rain came down, and the floods went up. The rain came down, and the floods went up, and the house on the sand fell flat. You can always tell the ones who went to Sunday school as children. Some of you will be looking at me as if I've gone stark, raving mad. But the point I'm trying to make is that many of us listening to this have known this story since we were children. I will be forever grateful to my Sunday school upbringing. It played a large part in my coming to faith. But there is an old saying that says, familiarity breeds contempt. What that means is that we can know something so well we actually begin to miss the force of what it says. We can start taking it for granted. For me, this passage falls into exactly that category. I thought I knew it so well, but for years I actually got the point of it all wrong. If I was to ask you what the rock in the rhyme symbolised, what would you say? What is the foundation that we're to build our lives upon? Your answer would be, the Word of God, the Bible. It's easy. We've known this since children, right? Well, wrong. The rock in this story is not the Word of God. It is not the Bible. It is doing the Word of God. Listen again to the opening verse, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. There, clear as day. It's not Jesus' words that are the rock. It is putting them into practice that forms a foundation for a life that can still stand the storms. Now, you may well be sitting there thinking, this is just a question of semantics. Andrew, you're splitting hairs. But no, this is really important. There are many people who know the word of God. The Pharisees and the chief priests of Jesus' day knew the word of God, yet they still put Jesus to death. The leaders of the apartheid regime, the runners of the slave trade, the politicians of Nazi Germany, they all knew the word of God, but they ended up brutalising their fellow human beings. The new atheists of today know the word of God. Richard Dawkins knows the word of God but they spend their time attacking Christians. My friends at Sunday school who grew up learning that rhyme with me know the word of God, but many of them no longer attend church at all. No, many, many people know the word of God. They know what scripture says, 
but they do not at all put it into practice, not by a long stretch. Consequently, it doesn't become the firm foundation for their lives. All the people I've just mentioned either ended up experiencing a great crash in their lives or are on the way towards one. This is not semantics. This is not splitting hairs. It is important. This story is so over-familiar that I got this wrong for years and still now I can slip into the mistake. The rock is not the word of God. The rock is doing the word of God, putting it into practice. Many of you will know that over the years I have suffered with depression. Depression is a disorientating and debilitating illness, and at first you can often have no idea what is happening to you. After struggling for some time in Bromley, I went to the doctor, and she was excellent. She quickly diagnosed what was wrong, coordinated with a psychiatrist, and prescribed me some antidepressants. Now, up to that point in my life, apart from taking cowpole as a child, I'd never taken medication. So this was always going to be a new experience. Yet I was totally unprepared for just how difficult taking antidepressants can be at first. The side effects can be pronounced before fading over time. So after taking the tablets for a while, I soon gave up. The next time I was at the doctor's, she could immediately see that things had not changed. In fact, I was worse. So she asked me whether I was taking the medication. I told her about my experience and she set about reassuring me. Andrew, you're you're significantly unwell. You're not going to get better all on your own. You need help. Yes, the side effects are difficult, but keep going and you will see the difference. The doctor was brilliant. I remain very grateful to her. Yet as I was leaving the room, she said something else that I have never forgotten. Andrew, if you don't take these, I can't help you. That was it in a nutshell. I had had the illness diagnosed. I'd had the best medical advice the NHS could offer. Now it was down to me. I either put it into practice and took the medication, or I ignored it all and remained trapped in the illness. Thankfully, I can say today that the medication really works. I'm so glad that I did the hard work and battled through the early trials. Jesus finishes his Sermon on the Mount in much the same way my doctor sent me out of her room. His final words are a stern warning, not the cushy encouragement that preachers like me would finish their sermons with today. Literally, he finishes with a warning. If you do not put into practice what I have taught you, your lives will fall apart with a great crash. Rather like a doctor, Jesus has come to the rescue of humanity, stuck as they are in the ravages of the illness called sin. In the Sermon on the Mount, he has prescribed the right course of treatment, teaching us how to live healthily in the world. This course of action undoubtedly has side effects, requirements which can be difficult to see through at times, but it's now up to us as to whether we stick with the course prescribed, whether we put into practice all he has taught or not. This is not a perfect illustration by any means, but I hope you get the point. What matters is not knowing the prescribed medication, it is actually taking it. Not just knowing the word of God, but actually doing it. 
Just, but just before we look at this little parable, there's one final thing to point out that will really stress the point that Jesus wants us to practically do something. When Matthew wrote his gospel, he deliberately grouped the teaching given by Jesus and split it into five sections or books. These books are the Sermon on the Mount in chapters five to seven, instructions for mission in chapter 10, the parables in chapter 13, instructions for the church community in chapter 18, and the Sermon on the Mount of Olives in chapters 23 to 25. We can see these five books very clearly because at the end of each of these, Matthew deliberately uses exactly the same words. When Jesus had finished. Listen, in our reading today, Matthew seven twenty-eight, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. Matthew 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, he went on from there. Matthew 13, 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on. Matthew 19, 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee. And Matthew 26, 1, the final one. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples. It's a very clever literary device. But why is it so important to Matthew for his readers to see these five books of teaching? Well, it's because Matthew is writing to Jews. And all the Jews would know instantly that the Old Testament law also came in five books. We have already seen in this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus believes he is fulfilling that law. But Matthew wants to go even further than that. He wants his readers to see that Jesus is the new Moses, the one who gave Israel the law in the Old Testament. Try to follow this with me. Think about the story of the Exodus that we've been looking at in Sunday mornings. Moses leads the people out of Egypt. He passes through the water of the Red Sea. He leads the people through the wilderness. Then he climbs up a mountain to receive the law. Now look at Matthew's gospel. Matthew is the only gospel that records Jesus coming up as a refugee out of Egypt. He passes through the waters of baptism. He then journeys through the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. And then he climbs up a mountain to give the people the law in this great Sermon on the Mount. If you take the time to look, it's unmistakable. To Matthew, Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is the new leader, anointed and empowered by God to rescue his people from a situation that they could not get themselves out of. Only this time the rescue is even bigger. This is not the rescue from slavery in Egypt. This is the rescue from slavery to sin and evil, suffering and death. But there is another great similarity between Jesus and Moses, which is really important to know if you're going to fully appreciate this passage. At the end of the Old Testament law, Moses gives the people a challenge. They have been rescued. They have been told how to live. God has done his part. Now it is up to them. Now it is up to them as to whether they do what he had told them or not. Moses says, if they put the law into practice, things will go on getting better. They will be blessed indeed. But if they ignore God's law... They will go back to the mess they were in in Egypt. 
If you want to read this for yourself when you get home, it's found in Deuteronomy 28 and 30. Now, of course, the story of the Old Testament is that the people chose to completely ignore what they had been told. They did not put God's prescribed way of living into practice, and they ended up in terrible trouble as a result. So now that we know that this is how the Old Testament law finishes, with a challenge, it should be no surprise to us that this sermon, which Jesus has said is the fulfilment and correct interpretation of the law, finishes in exactly the same way. Jesus effectively says to his listeners, put my words into practice and you'll be able to stand in all the storms of life. You'll be blessed. But if you ignore my words, you will suffer the consequences. As soon as the first winds of trial come, your lives will fall apart all over again. Again, it's not knowing God's word that counts, but doing it. So now that we know this context, let us look at the parable one more time. Like all of Jesus's parables, it uses imagery that was very familiar to his listeners, so easy to understand. It's a simple story, but delivered with authority. On the shores of the Sea of Galilee, which sat at the bottom of the mountainside from which Jesus was preaching this sermon, lay many dwellings. And it was common knowledge that the builders of these dwellings had to be really careful. Around the sea lay large stretches of alluvial sand. In the hot summer months, this sand bakes rock hard. Yet a wise builder would not be fooled by the surface conditions. Recently, archaeologists have discovered that even in Jesus' day, builders dug down 10 feet or more to build on the bedrock beneath the sand. Why did they do that? Because when the winter rains came, the river Jordan that pours into the Sea of Galilee would flood its banks, and this sand would soon become very unstable indeed. Houses built on the sand without proper foundations would soon come crashing down. Jesus' audience, who were mainly from Galilee, would then have known immediately what this parable meant. The wise people among them would build their lives on Jesus' teaching, put it into practice on a daily basis. The foolish among them would choose the easy way out and ignore it. They would build instead on the shifting sand of the Pharisees and the unstable foundation of stale religious rituals. This is what this passage is about. Jesus' listeners must now make the effort to respond obediently. Back then, with no machinery, it was hard, really hard, to dig down ten feet through the hard sand to find the bedrock. We too should be under no illusion. It is really hard to put Jesus' words into practice. Just think of what we've heard in this sermon. It is hard to be a light to the world and stand out from the peer pressure of those around us. It is hard to quash anger and be reconciled to someone who has hurt us. It is hard to say no to sexual temptation and invest in marriage. It is hard not to lie. It is hard to turn the other cheek and love our enemies. It is hard to give, pray and fast and not do it for attention from others. 
It is hard not to be sucked into a constant quest for more money and instead invest in the riches of heaven. It is hard not to judge others. It is hard at times to keep praying expectantly to ask, seek and knock. It is hard to enter through the narrow gate and walk the narrow road of discipleship. It is hard. As hard as digging through rock-hard ground with a primitive shovel. Over the last 11 weeks, this sermon has challenged us to the core. We are in no doubt that it takes effort to get it right. It would be much easier to ignore all this teaching and just go with the flow in life. To go with the crowds, go with our friends. But Jesus says those who do that are much worse off in the end. It may be easier for them at first, but as soon as the first winter rains come, as soon as life throws a challenge their way, their houses soon come crashing down. Whereas those who have put in the hard work of discipleship will stand. Those who trust in Jesus and do what he says will know salvation, will get through their struggles and will shine bright for God's glory. They will enter the kingdom of heaven and bring many with them. So my prayer for all of us, myself included, is this. As we finish looking at this great sermon, may we not just marvel at the words. May we not just sit back and think, wow, that was good advice. Jesus really was a fine teacher. Instead, may we have the courage to actively put it into practice, to build our lives on what we have heard. If we do, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we'll become more like Jesus, perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We will shine like lights in the dark, impacting upon our local community. We will stand the storms of life and see God's kingdom come in full. May we live wholehearted, radical, sold-out lives for Jesus, lives of obedience and integrity. If we do, the church will grow here on Isla. I leave you with the hymn of William Bradby, written in 1863 after being inspired by this passage. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand.